Welcome to Top Picks, a breakout investor podcast. In this, our second episode of the Top Picks podcast, we are interviewing Brad Steveson, and we'll be learning what names currently occupy some of the top spots in his portfolio. That is, what are Brad's top picks? Joining us on the call is breakout investor Florian Buschek. Over the next 30 minutes, we hope to discuss two or three names that should be of long-term interest to all breakout investors. And then at the end of the podcast, Brad will tell us what he believes to be one of the most timely trades right now. But first, a disclaimer. No one on this call is an investment advisor and no one is providing investment advice. This podcast is for information purposes only. Before investing in any company stock, you must do your own research. Supporting materials for today's discussion will be posted on the Breakout Investors Discussion app, which is located at app.breakoutinvestors.com. The application and much of the research content is free. After registering and logging in, use the search bar at the top right of any page. Type in a ticker, DLPN, for example, and the result will give you a link to the research post of this podcast and to other discussion and research relating to today's companies. Now over to our guest, Brad Steveson. Which of your top picks are we going to start our discussion with today? Well, hi, Scott. Thanks. Um, I think we should start with Hire Car. Hire Car is one of my top picks. It's a stock that I've been following now for probably three years, maybe a little more. Um, I'm in it for a cost basis well below where it has is trading right now. But we recently had an earnings call. And the stock price fell by almost 50%. And so I think that's one that we could start talking about first as to why that's still a top pick of mine, especially at this price. Yeah. What happened, Rad? Why did it fall by about 50%? So higher, uh, I guess I would say they they repeated a sin that they they did one other time going back a few years ago, and that is they overpromised and they underdelivered. They talked about what their EBITDA margins were going to be looking forward during the quarter one conference call. Uh, they talked about what their daily rentals run rate was going to be going into the second quarter. And these are obviously a very important margins or uh, I'm sorry, not margins. These are obviously very important statistics for their business. And then they also talked a little bit about um when they thought they would be EBITDA neutral. And all of those things were revised when, when they had the, the quarter two call, along if with- I'm not, pr- if, if I'm not mistaken, they had different CFOs on those two calls, right? They did, yes. So, so when we got to the quarter two call, the first thing they did was they released an earnings report with, with a enormous hit in the insurance uh, cost uh, claims and uh, reserves. They also had a one-time large expense to move the insurance claims processing that they were doing over to a new vendor of about a million four. And so the the uh, earnings per share was really weak. Now on the strong side of things, their their revenues went up uh, nicely, um, went up about sixty percent over over the previous year. But in between those two calls, yes, the CFO retired, according to the official report, and uh, a new CFO came on board. And All right, then, well, let's, and talk, let's, let's talk about these insurance claims. You're, what, what you're saying is that when hire car facilitates me driving your car, 
uh, they provide insurance coverage on your car. And it seems I'm not particularly careful with your car. And uh, there's been a number of claims uh, relating to damage to the owner's cars. Is, is that right? I think that's partially right. And then I think the other part of it is that they were behind on settling up. So there were claims that were moved into this quarter from that probably should have been handled in a prior quarter. Um, and I believe their partnership with Ameridrive, a part, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm kind of putting two and two together here. I believe one of the requirements of this partnership was that they said, Hey, you've got to get, you've got to get these claims cleaned up. So I think there was a lot of cost moved into the quarter that probably should have been taken in prior quarters. All right. So where does this leave us? Uh, why, uh, why are we still interested in this company? So I take a look at uh, all of the revised, the forward-looking statements, the average daily rentals that they're looking at, uh, when they're going to get there, um, the gross profit margin, and, and what the new CFO is predicting. And I put it into my model. And I say, okay, yeah, I'm upset. I'm, I'm not happy with the fact that what they told me didn't turn out to be right. We're not going to be profitable as quickly as they said. We're not going to have quite as many cars as quickly as what they said. And uh, our gross margins are going to be lower than what they said, at least for the next couple of quarters. But then I take the revised numbers, put them into my model, and, and there's still a very strong investment case here. And so, Brent, so uh, sorry to interrupt, two points. Um, you mentioned your model. Um, two things. One thing that has kept me always a little bit in the dark about higher car is this insurance thing. How can you get certain what you plug into your model that that is actually what is going to happen? I mean, it's, it's really tough to, to say what these insurance claims always will be. I mean, we've just seen that in this quarter, basically. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's a good point, Florian. And it is a risk. And it's fact, in fact, a risk that I highlighted in a recent article that I wrote on the Breakout Investor website, uh, if anybody wants to look at that. But um, it's definitely a risk. Uh, I think my belief is I've seen higher cars struggle with some things in the past. I've seen them attack it and figure it out and get it fixed and move on going forward. I think they've run into a situation where they've, they've had a lot of claims. The risk management isn't working quite the way it should. The risk management software and all of that. And they're in the process of getting that corrected. And I think if you give them a quarter or two, they'll get that corrected. Let's keep in mind, Florian, that they have any a, a tremendous number of drivers looking to rent cars well beyond the number of cars they have available on the platform so they can afford if they can get that right uh, they can afford to weed out some of the higher risk people and therefore bring their insurance claims down so that's the reason i believe it's something that they can they can get a grip on given a little bit of time to work on i guess the key thing here is in as much as this is a de novo business nobody's ever done what they're trying to do you could say that this is a growing pain as they work the kinks out of their model. You could say that, or you could say that um, management is not up to the task. Uh, which camp are you in and um, how will we know? Glad you brought that up because there, there is some definite concern out there as to whether management is up to the task. Um, and I, I will, I will list, I list that as a risk for me to consider and to continue to, to monitor. Let me, let me say, or let me give you an example of why I think management can 
conquer this growing pain and, and get it corrected. And that is if you go back last year, when uh, things started shutting down because of COVID, 100% of hires rental business was for ride sharing. And I think we all know that ride sharing dried up. Um, and they quickly had to revise and adjust their insurance policy with their insurance carrier, change their marketing scheme and all of that to, to drive business during this time for delivery service. And as of today, even as of the last quarterly calls, still two thirds of their business is, is delivery service and only about a third of it is rideshare. So there's a good example where management was faced with a problem that they had to they had to figure out and attack. And this is what they did. And they moved quickly. They fixed it quickly. And they came right through COVID with uh, flying colors. So Brad, great example. Is it, <clears throat> is it fair to say, if you look at this company for the first time, you open the 10K and you see something with insurance and you might not be familiar with insurance and how this all works. And you might stay away. If you're an institution, you might think, Oh, there's some kind of black box risk. So is it fair to say that is, this is currently a penalty for the stock and for the valuation? And once we see them actually printing a few good quarters, maybe maybe in a year or two, would these things all work out that they will get away from this penalty and maybe even get to a premium? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Um, The reason I like higher right now is because the price took such a hit uh, after the quarter two call. I think it was an overreaction with the business that they're in, with the the TAM, the total addressable market that they have. Um, and, and I be probably believe in management a little bit more than some do and feel like that they will get it right uh, over a little bit of time. I feel like they'll be able to get their gross margins back up into the 40 plus category because that's what they're, that's what they're striving to do. And so they'll, they'll, you know, keep it in mind, their cost of goods sold is, is all insurance claims. That's, that's what that whole number is. And so they'll, they'll work to get that under control. They know they have to, that's, that's, it's critical to their business. Their business doesn't work if they don't. So I just don't feel while it looks like a big risk, I don't feel like um, there's much risk that they're not going to tackle that head on and get that corrected. All right. Well, that that feels like a good uh, spot to jump in and uh, ask Brad. What's the uh, what's the second company among your top picks that you want to talk about today? So I really like Gaia. G A I A is the ticker. Um, I really actually love that one uh, for this reason. It's a stock that I think has been perpetually undervalued. Um, it's one that's easy to model going forward. And it's, it's one that if you take a look at it and model it out over the next, in my case, I've, I've modeled out over the, the next eight, uh, six quarters, next 18 months, I just think to myself, there's no way this stock does not go up over that, over that period of time. Because when you run the numbers, when you run the model, the valuation would be so ridiculously low if the stock did not go up that it just wouldn't make any sense. So I really like this one because I feel the risk is very low uh, from this price point that it's at right now. So you, I feel like I can put a lot of money in it and not really worry significantly about a lot of risk of losing my capital, even if things don't work out to the upside as much as what I think they will. This is such a squirrely company. I don't think we've ever even done a 10 minute podcast on it. So 
Could you just spend 30 seconds or two or, or whatever time you need? Tell us what Gaia does. Yeah, so Gaia is basically, I'll, I'll call them a mini Netflix. They're a conscious media and community company uh, or a, you know, a streaming service. They create their own content in Colorado at their campus in Colorado. Now they have a studio there where they do that. They're able to create their content for a fraction of what the cost of most streamers spend. I want to say about $35,000 per hour of content compared to a couple of million per hour for Netflix. And it's the thing about it is it's very niche content. When they started some years ago, they started with yoga. Well, you can get a lot of yoga for free on, on uh, YouTube now. So that's not really what drives their memberships anymore and hasn't been for quite a long time. But they like to say, hey, we bring in customers for transformation our transformation category, our seeking truth category, and our alternative healing category. Oh, and by the way, we also have yoga if you want that while you're on here. And so yoga is not really, really the driver anymore. But 80% of the content that Gaia distributes via streaming rights is um, created by Gaia. They have, and they have the worldwide rights to that content. So, so one big argument I can imagine is you could consider Gaia a COVID winner in the sense of the stay-at-home, work-from-home trend, which definitely benefited Netflix, for example. And <clears throat> you could imagine that you have plenty of sign-ups last year that will massively increase the churn this year. Do you think that is a valid argument? And how likely do you think that is? I think it's a valid argument, but I don't, I don't see that risk being very high. And probably the number one thing I would point to is their Gaia has done some uh, surveys to determine what their total addressable market is. And it's at about 26 million and they have 770,000 subscribers. So they're very, very early in their growth trajectory. Gaia. So, so one, two, all, all, all research and surveys says streaming is only going to continue to grow. So I just, I just don't see that as a big issue. And they really didn't grow that much faster during COVID. Uh, they had one really good quarter where they grew, uh, I think, 24% or maybe it was 26%. And that was in the first quarter of the year. But they really didn't, they really didn't uh, just grow at any, at any crazy high unusual pace sustained throughout the year. They just nice and steady 20, 22% growth, just like they always have. So I, I don't see that as a, as a major risk. I think they've got a lot of room to go from their current subscriber base. Yeah, I fully agree. And if I might add myself, the content is so niche that the customer base is really, really sticky. So churn is generally rather low. And, and the other thing is this management team has incredible ability to forecast and control their own business. Like if they tell you they're going to grow revenue 20% or subscribers this and that percent, they're going to hit it. It's almost perfect, that track record. This is a, a company that sells on a global basis? They do. Uh, it's mostly here in the US, but what they do, and actually this is a, another interesting thing, a lot of what they do in other countries is they take the content they already have and they, they more or less convert the, the, the voice to the, the local language and, that's, and then they just reuse that same content over there. And where, when I say over there, wherever we're talking about, you know, Mexico or India or places like that. 
So what kind of uh, growth rates and um, net margins does this company have? So the, so the company's current uh, stated growth rate target is 20% uh, growth. And that's kind of indefinite, I guess, for now until further notice, until they revise it. Uh, and, and that's what they've been doing. If you look at, let me just kind of walk you through last year, just real fast. Uh, in 2020, they grew about 17% in the first quarter, 23% in the second quarter, 28% in the third quarter, 27% in the fourth quarter. And that averaged out to about 24%. So, so they beat their uh 20% target by about 4%. They're predicting 20% again this year. The first two quarters, they grew uh, 30% in March, 20% in June. So I'd say they're well on track to uh, finish this year above 20% again. Their gross, what they, what they'll, they'll spend about 40% of their revenues on the, uh, on customer acquisitions. And then they'll spend about 20% of their revenues on new content what they're trying to do or what their what their intention is going forward is they want to take that 40 percent spent on customer acquisition costs they want to kind of drive it down over the next say six quarters down to 30 percent because the revenues are going to keep growing they feel like they can sort of even it doesn't necessarily cut the 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 spend in dollars so much but it does cut the spend a little bit uh, as a percent of revenue. And then they're going to take, they want to take that savings and basically do two things with it. One is um, spend a little more on content, start to go above that 20% on content and go a little bit higher with that. And then also just improve their EBITDA margins above the current 20%. Oh, and let me throw in one more thing while I'm thinking about it. Last quarter, the EBITDA margin was 20% for the first time ever. So, and that number just continues to grow and they're predicting that will continue to grow as well. So if they're spending, it's very fair to say that um, the economics are really fantastic as you would expect for a streaming business. So right now we are at the point where the operating leverage really kicks in and they have incremental operating margins of 50%, 50%. And their customer, uh, their lifetime value to customer acquisition costs is 3.5 to one. So also fantastic metric. So we are right at the at the inflection point, basically. That's very interesting. Uh, just one thing: what are they? What what is their customer acquisition cost? How do they find their customers? What's the spend? So they use YouTube and advertise through YouTube a lot, and then there are other digital advertising channels that they use, and I'm and I don't know specifically what those are. My understanding is that they. They don't have certain channels that they use every single quarter, but they change depending on when they see what they call opportunity for to get a, I guess, bang for your buck is the best way to say it. I'm not sure exactly how they evaluate that uh, to, to be more specific, but that's how they go about it. There might be a couple other things that might be worth mentioning here on this too, if I might, Scott, real quick. Um, of course. They do have a 5 million share buyback approved. Um and I, th I don't necessarily think they're going to start buying back shares anytime soon, but it's something I think when you start thinking about 2022, they'll go into 2022, probably having earned a dollar a share in EBITDA this year, maybe on their way to a buck 50, buck 60 next year is what my forecast would say. And I think if the stock remains depressed, they may decide that some of the money 
some of that extra EBITDA margin that they're creating, they may use to buy stock. I also think they're thinking about ways to spend a little more on customer acquisition costs if they're not buying shares back instead and drive that growth a little bit faster than that 20%. And I think both of those could be good for the share price as well. Yeah, they stated that from the beginning of next year, they want to push a little harder on growth again. And the other thing to mention is uh, live events will come back. So even though I said you could consider the COVID winner, in that sense, it was a COVID loser because these live events <clears throat> are and will be very lucrative again. Yes, good points, Florian. Very good. Okay. How about uh, your most timely pick? Which of your top picks is most timely? People need to act now if they're going to get the full advantage of. So, so I have Dolphin Entertainment uh, as my third one for today. And, and I, of those three, I definitely consider it the most timely. And my thinking on, on that is they're working on creating an NFT marketplace. So they partnered with FTX to do sort of the back end payment part of it, converting a visa charge into the, uh, the crypto that they need to do to put it on the blockchain. I don't understand all, all of that exactly, but uh, so they're working on that. I think they're going to start getting some revenues in from that. NFTs are hot as we all know. So as soon as they announce and I think we'll probably see another announcement or two this year. As soon as they announce some success with their NFT marketplace, you know that uh, investors are going to jump in. They're going to buy the stock. They're probably going to drive it up. That's what's been happening here last week and this week is, is what's been driving the price is just the fact that Visa uh, all but uh, endorsed NFTs by making their purchase. And, and then that was a, a big deal in the news in regards to NFTs. Dolphin's NFT marketplace was really targeting things they can they can do with the celebrities that they they have uh, like they're for example one of the things they're going to do is recipe cards with their uh, chefs celebrity chefs that they have and you know people can get their version of that uh, card if you will for say fifty dollars or less you know my understanding is they're going to do nfts that are 50 40 30 dollars 25 dollars a piece and really sell them in mass. And uh, I think they're gonna have some success with that. I think they're gonna have some... some. Now the stock has done extremely well, hasn't it, over the last, uh, what, uh, month? It really has. You know, it, 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 when, when their NFT adventure was first announced, I think back in March, they had, a, they had a run from about $5 to 32. It didn't stay at 32 long, of course, and it fell back and ended up drifting all the way back down into the eights. And as recently as a week and a half, maybe two weeks ago, it was in the eights again. And then, as, as I said, Visa made this announcement about their endorsement of NFTs and the stock went back up to, I think, in the 15s. Right now, today, it had a, little, had a nice close today and it's back into the 13s again. So it's definitely up. And I think, um, you know, remember, there's only about 8 million shares outstanding on this company too. So it's still a tiny little company, even at that price. How many announcements do you think we can look forward to this year related to the Dolphin 2.0 initiatives? So that's another thing. So I expect two more announcements to, to happen before the end of this quarter. I originally thought they might happen before the earnings call that, that uh, management did in about the middle of August, but now I'm expecting them by the end of this quarter into September. And then three other ones sometime during the first the fourth quarter. So you're looking at over the, the last five months of the year, we may have five announcements about one a month. 
And if any one or two of those is considered to be significant by the market, then that's going to drive demand for the stock again. So that's, you know, another reason that I think this is a timely one to really think about getting in very soon if you're interested. So Dolphin is up 220% year to date. Excuse me, 297% year to date. And uh, this one has got a lot of upside and it's the most timely of the picks that we're talking about today. So I think so. I think, uh, you know, you if you just want to look at the numbers that we know about right now, I have personally, without getting into all the details, I personally value this stock around 15 today if, if there's no nothing else new coming. And we know there are new things coming. So if I try to model that in to my model a little bit, it's very easy to see the stock being valued at somewhere in that $30, $40 range maybe as as soon as the end by the end of this year oh um, goodness <laughs> that would be something what what kind of market cap would it have if it does this uh 300 million uh let's see if they were uh say they were a 30 dollar stock then they'd be about a 240 million dollar company what do you think florian is that in the cards uh, it could definitely be yeah um i am i think the one thing i'm less sure about is uh the economics behind it. Um, not that I'm saying it can't happen, just that I'm personally more unsure about it. It's, it's just tough to model, at least for me, because we don't really know how exactly the NFTs will pan out in terms of economics for a company, how the Dolphin 2.0 deals will look like. So I would be interested to hear how Brad thinks about that. Excellent. Well, I'm sure we'll bring Brad back for a 10-minute podcast as soon as there's an update on Dolphin. That's all we all the time we have for today. Thank you very much, Brad. Thank you, Florian. We are Breakout Investors. This podcast is meant as an easy on-ramp to understanding the research and collaboration we do. Please join us for discussion on this podcast and for other breakout ideas on our discussion platform at app.breakoutinvestors.com. The Top Picks podcast is syndicated and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, listen, and give us a five-star review. Some or all the speakers may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. The views in this podcast expressed are those of the speakers, not breakout investors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Neither Breakout Investors nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information presented by this podcast and any liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, therefore is expressly disclaimed. No one on this podcast is an investment advisor, known as providing investment advice. Before investing in any company's stock, you must do your own research. Thank you for listening.